millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're into extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, a podcast from RNZ Stuff and The Locker Room. I'm Barry Guy. And now I can announce the host country of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023, which will be Australia, New Zealand. Congratulations. That's the head of FIFA, Gianni Infantino, announcing that the Football World Cup is coming down under for the first time. 32 teams, eight groups of four, will compete in the tournament, which will be played across 12 cities in Australia and New Zealand, with Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin all hosting games here, with Auckland having the honour of the tournament opener. Originally there were four bidders, but Brazil and Japan dropped out, leaving it to uh, a two-horse race with the Trans-Tasman bid heading off Colombia. The chair of New Zealand football, Johanna Wood, doubts New Zealanders realise just how big a deal winning the right to host the tournament is. It's huge. I don't think New Zealanders realise how big the Women's World Cup, a FIFA Women's World Cup is. So it's going to be huge in terms of the development and then the economic impact will be significant as well for both Australia and New Zealand. The agreement that we have with Australia is that New Zealand will have the opening at Eden Park we will have four of the uh, four groups of pool play here, and four will be in Australia. At the round of 16, three will be in Australia, one will be here in New Zealand. We will also have the semi-final, and Australia will have the other semi-final, and they will have the, the closing. I'm joined now by former football fence defender Christy Hill, RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell, and staff football writer Philip Rollo. Christy, first uh, to you. Uh, you know, obviously it's going to be a big tournament. Uh, you know, the worldwide audience, hopefully plenty of locals are going to be watching it also. But what's it going to mean uh, primarily for the women's game here in New Zealand? I mean, it's such an exciting opportunity. It's it's going to expose, I guess, women's football to this country. And I think for a long time, many of us women who are playing football kind of get frustrated that we the football never really gets noticed or isn't that important in people's lives over here. And um, this is just an opportunity, I think, to bring all of that in front and centre um, in front of mainstream New Zealand to see the value of women's football and the skill, the best players in the in the world and I think it'll just boost uh, the number of players that want to switch over to football. The fact that there's not a professional league in New Zealand, I mean, is that uh, does that have to be the legacy, does it? Yeah, yeah, that, that's difficult. That's, that's, that's the hardest, hardest thing. And hopefully there's um, work going towards getting a, getting a, a Phoenix women's team in the W League. Our, our aim really is to get our to get our players into professional leagues. That, that means that we have to send our players overseas because there is no competition over here, uh, even further a um, country than, than Australia. We've got, we've got to send them to Europe in order to, to keep up with the... So having a team where they can actually stay home at least, at least for a, a small portion of the, the year to play would be, um, has got to be the legacy. 
Philip, uh, you cover the game in New Zealand uh, at, at every level, but women's football, really, there's not a lot of uh, of coverage. Something like this needs to, to help to develop it. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, having a professional team would, would make the world of difference. Um, you know, you look at the Phoenix, there's a professional team that people can, can follow, kids can aspire to a play for. Um, yeah, and that, that's really kind of the missing link, and you really do hope that um, you know they can get a, a Phoenix team established. I think the the key thing that will help now is New Zealand football will really want the football ferns to be successful, so they'll want to to really push having a, a W League team as well. And, and working closely with Australia, you'd like to to think that Australia will be you know welcoming to to have a, a Phoenix team in the in the W League. Uh, I know we're looking a few years ahead, but how would you gauge success as far as New Zealand's concerned out of this tournament in 2023? Well, I guess there'll be um, a couple of things. You know, the the crowds they'll they'll want to sell out some of the the venues um, for for sure. Um, New Zealand's never won a game at a World Cup. Um, that's always been the goal. It was the goal last year, and um, yeah, they they didn't get there. So if they could win one game, you know, that would that would be huge. I think. Hamish, uh, over recent months, we've been talking a lot about uh, equality and and women's sport. That this is a boost for uh, for New Zealand. Yeah, it's a boost for the football ferns. I'm thrilled for them that they get a chance to play at home, which is rare enough as it is, without being the sort of such a big stage as the World Cup, which is was fantastic. But I'm mostly excited for uh, young women who will get the chance to be inspired by the football ferns. I think we get a saturation of male sport and male role models, and it's not the same on the female front. And I just, I can't wait for young footballers to to see the football ferns in action to see the other nations in action and just think actually football's a game for me football's a game that can take me somewhere football's a game that I want to be involved in I think that's that's the legacy I mean I you talk about things like professional leagues I'm yet to see any evidence pretty much ever that New Zealand football have any idea how to do anything I mean they're really lucky that a lot of people play football we've seen private enterprise sort of come into the game and there's a lot of academies out there and a lot of people doing things at that level but I, I, I've never seen New Zealand football do a darn thing about um, football, I just think they're absolutely hopeless and I don't have any confidence that they'll capitalise on the situation. I think it's great that it's here. As I say, I'm glad that people want to play and I think people will be inspired, but I have no confidence in a legacy. I just don't see that occurring at all. Previously, we haven't capitalised on the opportunities and I think that, I mean, that was obvious a couple of years ago when um, when there was a bit of a coup and um, we had to call out a few things. In terms of actually valuing um, women's football and I think that needs to, I guess, be the be front and front and centre here. The fact that we're bringing the rest of the world over to New Zealand um, and showcasing our country, our values, where women's football and actually women's sport and women full stop sit in in our whole society. I think that that's the biggest opportunity that football has, is because this is this the biggest women's sporting tournament in the world and I think that's the opportunity we need to shine a light on New Zealand and actually start to work towards uh, some of these values and these issues that we've been talking about for a while and using this as a platform to show how far we've come we've got a lot of work to do but I do I do believe that the aim is to actually start to value women's sport and value um, women's football the problem that you've got at the moment, like you look at the under-17 Women's World Cup um, from 2018 where the, the team finished third place and it was New Zealand's best ever finish at a World Cup. But there's a big gap for you know where those girls go. Um, you know, Without a W League team, I guess that's the obvious next step. Um, 
they have to look to American scholarships and they have to look to professional leagues in in, in Europe. Um, and there's just not that much for them to aspire to, you know, in, in that little window of, you know, being 17 to, to 20 years old. And so you kind of hope that um, wherever that money's spent, that, you know, they can create some more pathways, I think, for for the, the the young players to to have a chance to be able to play the professional game or to take football serious because you've got um you know situations at the moment where you know some of the young girls are having to join boys academy um teams and stuff like that to 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 really improve like there's yeah I think they're, they're really kind of struggling to to find that next step when they they hit kind of eighteen nineteen years old. So Philip, does this mean that? A lot of money has to be spent over the next couple of years. The football ferns, you know, they play occasionally or they might go off to the Portugal tournament or, or whatever. They've got to be playing, what, a dozen times a year now, don't they? Yeah, you definitely hope they'll be playing a lot more regularly and, and more regularly in New Zealand too. I think like the big problem that the, the football ferns have is just the exposure of the team. You know, there are some good players in there. You know, Abby Ursig in particular is, you know, one of, one of the best defenders in the world. She captained a, a team to the, the title in the, the US, but... Um, you know, she probably isn't a household name in New Zealand, um, and that's just down to the fact that these professional leagues um, aren't broadcast in New Zealand, and the team's just not regularly playing here. I mean, if you compare that to the Silver Ferns, who are on TV every week, um, you know, playing in their domestic competition, um, yeah. So that's um, the the big thing that that needs to happen, and, and hopefully will happen now that the World Cup's here. I think teams will want to come to New Zealand and, and play the football ferns and, and kind of get an early taste as well. And you know, hopefully they can um, you know build on that relationship with Australia and, and, and play you know more games against them, especially because they're one of the, the best teams in the world at the moment. Christy, you're also involved with the Professional Footballers Association. Would your organisation be expecting to hear from uh, a whole lot of players now saying? This is our pathway now. This has certainly always been on the um, on the cards. The girls have needed, I guess, an external force, and it, and it comes back to this point where, in our own country, we don't really get valued, and we try to we try to say, "Hey, look at your women's football team," but um, it doesn't really get noticed. This is an external intervention, and I think it's a massive one. The other part of this is that a lot of the players who are currently in the squad now may not be around for this World Cup. And there is an opportunity, I guess, for a lot of young girls who are sort of on, on the brink of whether they're not going to stay in football. A home World Cup is going to be an opportunity where they will probably dig their heels in and, and start to look to uh, the future of football. But otherwise, there really isn't um, this. Well, the World Cup actually provides the impetus for these girls to either stick at it and continue along the, the pathway. I just hope people enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? I just think um, New Zealand sports, the landscape is often very dull. It lacks colour, lacks excitement. But we've seen things like British and Irish Lions rugby tours and the Rugby World Cup of 2011. And, and people came from overseas and they brought some excitement to things and we embraced them coming. And it was a great, I found those two tours, particularly times or situations where it was it was great to be a New Zealand sports fan, to go into to venues that had some atmosphere, to, to fraternise with different people. I think that would hopefully be something that happens too. I think we want to showcase the country. We want to make it welcoming for people. We just want it to be a, a success. As I say, I don't have any confidence that New Zealand football will capitalise this. I mean, talk about a W League team. The A League itself is struggling to keep going, let alone get a, a women's team off a uh, league off the ground. So I don't know that those things are going to happen, but I think it could be a great event. I think we should host it well and we should look forward to it. Yeah, and I think it, it's... 
definitely going to be one of the well, probably is going to be the biggest sporting event to ever come to New Zealand as well. I mean, you look at the the global audience they've had is reportedly bigger than the the Rugby World Cup. Um, you know, the amount of teams are going to be coming here. I think it's going to be huge, and um, yeah, it's definitely something to to look forward to. And I think for for young footballers as well, um, yeah, it's definitely something that will hopefully inspire them and, and want them to to you know become a professional player in the future. I agree. I think it's the opportunity. Like I say, um, this is about having role models, models for our women, role models for kids, really, um, an opportunity to display some football that probably never see, you'll never see before, um, and some awesome, I think, messages, messages that hit home for society about where where we are, how diverse football is and we can be, and I, and I think we've got a lot of work to do um, in that space in football. This starts to put some of those messages to the fore, and I think that's the opportunity that we need to seize on. Looking forward to it, 2023. Many thanks to former football fern uh, Christy Hill, and you're listening to Extra Time. The Warriors have their first test under new coach Todd Payton when they play the Melbourne Storm in Sydney this weekend. The sudden sacking of Stephen Kearney last weekend has seen Payton, who was Kearney's assistant, appointed interim coach for the remainder of the season. Kearney was seemingly well-liked by the players who were stunned by his departure. Peyton's approach appears much more hard-nosed, having already laid down the challenge to his players to toughen up. I've been a professional coach for nine years. I've been in, a, in successful systems. I know what they look like. I've been in systems where it hasn't been so successful, and I know what they look like. So from that standpoint, I think I've done my time. I don't think I had any other alternative. I could have left it for someone else to come in and have a crack at it. But, you know, I feel the responsibility to this club and to this group, so that's what I'm doing. I'm diving in head first and seeing where it takes us. There's no thought about what happens in the future. The basic gist of it, we haven't been tough enough for long enough, you know, or consistent. Those two things are the things that we need to change. It's not going to happen immediately. It is a thing that's going to take a little bit of time. Yeah, in a lot of ways we're close, and in other areas we're, we're a million miles away. That's Warriors interim coach Todd Payton. Joining us now on program is former Warriors and Kiwi coach Frank Endicott. Frank, the Warriors languishing 13th spot with just two wins. How much a surprise uh, was a surprise that uh, Kearney got the sack? Well, it was a big surprise to me. I think it was more the timing, Barry. Uh, you know, I, I personally, I thought that um, it came a little bit premature. I would have preferred to see, uh, maybe have a word to Stephen if they weren't happy with the performances and uh, left their assessment to the end of the season. I mean, it's not that far to go. Um, but um, they made a pretty tough and strong decision and, uh, yeah, we know where we are now. Does that mean perhaps there is a change to um, possible the way that the Warriors are going to be run? Well, I think the new ownership has shown that. I, you know, they look a pretty um, strong sort of group that's, uh, that's running them now, the new owners, Mark Robinson, etc. And, um, you know, that's the way they're going. They've shown that. But, yeah, I, I'd heard some underlying rumours about what was going on for the, you know, for the last few weeks, a uh, number of weeks, actually. Um, but you don't like to see anyone sacked. I don't. And, uh, you know, I just think, you know, even though it might be inevitable, I mean, most coaches go through it. In fact, the coaches you could, uh, around the world, professional coaches, you could count on one hand that haven't uh, been sacked at some stage of their careers. Uh, and while the uh, management, the ownership uh, made this decision, um, there has been a little bit of talk that, you know, players, of course, have quite a bit of sway and say. Um, do you think that there's always been a bit of that, perhaps, at the Warriors? 
No, I don't. I think Stephen had the support of his players, to be honest. Uh, I don't think there was any player power um, to do anything. You know, it had anything to do with this decision. None at all. Um, not the word I'm getting anyway. OK, Hamish, um, your thoughts. Were you um, surprised that uh, Kearney got the boot so early? Yeah, in the sense that it's, sacking him serves no purpose. Um, I don't know what anyone else would be expecting from the team this year. I think they're performing to about their capability. Um, if they were woefully underperforming, if they were you know, a, a championship-caliber team that were languishing in 13th, you go, oh, God, something needs to change. But the Warriors are where they are because that's how good they are. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not, these aren't fluke results they're experiencing. This isn't a uncharacteristic run of form this is the Warriors history this is the sort of this is where they sit in that competition rightly or wrongly and to sack a guy for that when he's just doing a you know from the outside a fairly adequate job um seems ridiculous but I just want them to sort of if they are going to do something like this I just want to see something change you know I don't want to see an unemployed head coach that's sitting around doing nothing come in that no one actually wants I don't want to see an assistant that's capable but not actually outstanding come in and and do the same job that Stephen Kearney's been doing. I, I think they need to be setting their sights really high. It's one thing to sack a coach, but it's what you do after that that's critical. And unless they're going to get someone who's substantially better than Stephen, then it would have been for nothing as far as I'm concerned. Matt Elliott, a former Warriors coach, also did say when I spoke to him earlier in the week that the club just needs to a- adopt a, a winning approach and nothing else matters. So, Frank, what do you think of Peyton? Um, what's he going to do? What's his approach going to be to the players, do you think? That might be different from Kearney. Oh, look, I, I think it will be a different uh, approach. I think it will be a lot tougher approach. Um, he's been an assistant coach for a long time now, so he's done his, his apprenticeship. Um, but there's, as we all know, there's a lot of good assistant coaches out there, but whether they can make that next step into a head coach's role remains to be seen. And um, he'll get his time to do it. Um, but I can't see him changing this team around. I think it's more, uh, and I agree with Hamish, it's more the, the makeup of the team. I don't think that's a, um, a finals playoff team, um, and I just think they really need to look at their recruitment, to be honest. The idea that things might change, Barry, assumes that Todd Payton is mute, that he has no input into the team at the moment, that he, is, he doesn't offer any technical advice, he doesn't talk to the players. He's there all the time. He's the flaming assistant coach. It's like he hasn't come in from nowhere. So the idea that suddenly things will be different under a new guy who's already working, that just seems, seems laughable as well. And they would have saved a lot of money too if they had to keep Stephen on. <laughs> too right. So how will Peyton's um, approach, how well will that go down with the players then if you, you know, think perhaps this isn't a, you know, a winning team? Well, I think you'll see a, a real change in attitude when they play tonight against Melbourne Storm. Um, I, personally, I can't see them beating Melbourne Storm. But if you see them go out there and really perform and try hard and, and, and get beat, but put up a real good showing, that can happen in the first game. It can always happen uh, with a change of coach. But it's where you go from there. It's the rest of the season that matters. Um, whether we go forward, whether we stay the same or go backwards. And only time will tell that. Well, that's the key, isn't it, Frank? Because they've been up and down the whole season. Are we going to see anything different? You know, some consistency. Well, I, I look at the team. I look at the makeup of the team. And I, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I just see two players there that have got actual natural firepower. And that's uh, the fullback, uh, Sheik and uh, and Cody Nikarima. Um, we, we, we just look too slow. We look a, a yard or two slower than the opposition every week. 
Um, we've got a solid side, but we haven't got an explosive side. I mean, I think it all comes down to recruitment. You got to get if you don't get that right, you're not gonna you're not gonna win games. In terms of the rest of the season, Barry, all that fans will want to see from the Warriors is the consistency of effort. People appreciate that, as Frank's mentioned, that player for player, they're not the most talented roster out there. But So you can lose on ability. You can lose to a team that's better than you. But that doesn't excuse you giving up. That doesn't mean you stop trying. And the Warriors, you know, they threw in the towel against South last week. That was really disappointing to see. So what you want to see from the team is, as I say, just a consistency of effort, just a general application to the task. They might not win, but at least they need to try. That's, I mean, that gives fans something to hang their hat on, something to be proud of. But at the moment, I think, you know, there's, there's times where the Warriors are giving up, and, that, and that's pretty hard to stomach. We're finding it hard to recruit the good players from overseas. Um, I'd start looking at England, to be honest. Um, you look at what's happening, uh, happened at Canberra Raiders. Um, I think if you pick the eyes, it's, it's a weaker competition over there, but there's always that good in, individual player that you can pluck, and they would jump at the chance to come over. I think uh, rather than just look at Australia, we need to look further afar. Frank's right there because it's becoming a real haves and have-nots competition despite the salary cap, and there are guys who go to clubs like the Warriors, like the Titans, like the Bulldogs, simply for money. Um, they're not going there because they rate the coach or they think they're going to win anything, but they're being offered more money than they can get elsewhere, and those are the wrong motivations. So what's going to be critical, I mean, aside from you know identifying the right talent, is they need a coach that people will be attracted by and want to come and play for. That's... Um, there's a guy I keep thinking of, and I, I doubt they'll ever get him, but it's Des Hasler. He's gone to Manly, where he had history, but Manly have no facilities. Um, they have a terrible home ground. Their roster's thin. But he's taking that club, and he's doing wonders with them at the moment. And that's the kind of person they need, someone who can actually build a club, someone who knows what it's like to maybe not have the advantages of a, of a Broncos or a Melbourne Storm and can still make do. Like, that's the sort of person they need, someone that players are devoted to and will play for because – the, the Warriors are in a, in a bad spot here that, that they need something quite dramatic to happen to, to lift the, um, the whole club. And it's not about just the football team. It's a whole club. When you're the head coach of, a, of an NRL franchise, it's a multi-million dollar business and you have so many responsibilities to so many different stakeholders, including the players. And they need someone with experience and, and, and real sort of um, dynamism and charisma. And, and I, I really hope that they can find that person. But um, I, I don't have a great confidence that they will, unfortunately. What they need to do is go out and target a coach, um, not not ask for coaches to apply. Go out and target someone. And the bloke I'd have, in, and has, I mean, remember, Des has applied for the Kiwi job, so, you know, he's willing to come. Um, Michael Maguire would be my choice. He, he understands the, uh, the way the Kiwi players are. Does a very good job, very, very good coach when you see him work. Um, and he wouldn't take any nonsense. I, I, he'd be my pick if we could uh, entice him over. Uh, Frank, uh, this week there was a little bit of chatter about um, a sort of a hybrid type game, the All Blacks versus Kangaroos. Um, you're sort of aware of that? Does that sort of whet your appetite at all? No, not really. Um, I remember that happening over there with Wigan. Um, I have an idea that it was a, a 70 point win to Wigan against Newcastle, was it? Can you remember that? Bath. They played Bath. Bath, that's right. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure it was a pretty big win to um, to Wigan at the time. But no, I can't see any sense out of it, to be honest. Uh, they've talked about the hybrid game for years and years, but uh, if Rugby Union keep changing the rules, we'll end up playing Rugby League anyway. <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those sort of admissions that your international sport doesn't stand alone on its own two feet well enough that you need to come up with a sort of a, 
a Mickey Mouse game. I thought we'd finally got to a point with the emergence of Tonga where we had some, we had a credible force in, in international rugby league. We had some competition. We had a team that was capable of beating Australia and Great Britain and stuff like that. And I was really excited by that. And this idea that we would sort of, you know, cheapen the whole thing by playing a made-up game just seems a bit sad. <laughs> Good luck to them. Well, maybe they'll find a, a fundraiser some other way. That's uh, extra time for this week. Uh, many thanks to uh, former Kiwis and Warriors coach Frank Endicott, also former uh, football fan Christy Hill, along with Hamish Bidwell and Philip Rollo. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies... I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel.